Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. Good evening. In tonight's show, I am going to play for you an interview that I recently completed with my friend and colleague, Zahira and Debbie Edwards, concerning earth changes and ancient prophecy, focusing on the time we are in now all the way to 2012 and beyond. This was a great interview, and we all had a lot of fun discussing this very important and controversial topic. You will hear some things in this broadcast that has never been released to the public before. And this involves all of you listening as well as your friends and family. This is a two-hour interview and I will be presenting part one in tonight's show with part two to follow next week. This was originally broadcast on Debbie Edwards' show, Metavisionary Global Live Radio. And we will now pick it up with the beginning of the introductions in that show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to MetaVisionaries Global Live Radio. I'm your host this evening, Debbie Edwards. Now, tonight, we're really going to be talking about some things that may appear a little bit controversial, but that's the whole point, is to get some information out there, really start some discussions, and uh, you know, really kind of get to some solutions here. We're going to be talking about Earth Changes 2012, Nostradamus, and Mayan Prophecies with two of very well-respected friends of mine, uh, Marcus Leader of Leader Research, and we're also going to be speaking with Zahira as well. Now, let me give you a little bit of information about our show tonight. Mayan Prophecies, 2012, Nostradamus, Earth Changes, and Shifts in Human Consciousness and Evolution. Fear-based hype or real probable scenarios? That's the question. What Earth Changes might possibly occur and how can you start to prepare for and survive this type of scenario? Have dramatic Earth Changes already started and what to watch for in the months ahead? Could this shift us usher in a new stage in human evolution triggered by galactic pulse tents of thousands of light years from Earth? All of this and more will be the topic of our show that we're going to be discussing tonight with shaman and science, scientist Marcus Leader and scholar and researcher Zahira concerning these exciting and important topics. Are the ancient prophecies true? And if so, who will survive and how? Tune in and find out for yourself to throw open the door and get a glimpse to an exciting yet turbulent future for all of humanity. Now to give you a little bit of background on our guest tonight... Marcus is an astronomer, a private researcher in human consciousness for the Monroe Institute, and a Toltec shaman trained for eight years in a one-on-one -on -one apprenticeship. He has spent over three decades researching parapsychology and the paranormal world from the logical and analytical perspective of a scientist mixed with an enlightened awareness of a Toltec shaman. He also hosts a weekly radio show where he discusses much of his experiences and research called The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope Radio, which you can find at jackaloperadio.com. Zahira is a student of life and a pursuer of esoteric and scientific knowledge. She has studied the ancient texts, wisdom, and prophecies left behind by such great cultures as the Egyptians, Sumerians, and the Mayans. So with that said, Marcus and Zahira, welcome to the show. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Oh, I'm yeah, really, really glad to, to do here. this. 
Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, and I just, you know, this this is going to be such a, a great show, I think, because really we're going to be able to put a lot of information out there. And, uh, you know, so this is something I know, Marcus, you and I have had the opportunity to do a couple broadcasts prior that pertain to 2012 and different types of earth changes. And Zahira, you and I haven't had that opportunity yet, but tonight I think is going to be great, you know, just being able to provide a lot of information to create some discussion and, uh, you know, hopefully some solutions. But I'm, I'm really glad for the two of you to be here. So thanks for joining us. And thank you for having me. I appreciate being in such great company. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So let's get started. You know, let's really dive into this. And Marcus, I know that, you know, this is something that you've had a passion for for a while. You know, when we're looking at different earth changes and, of course, you know, with your background with astronomy and things like that, you know, let's let's kind of dive in there. You know, really, what are we looking at? What What is the information that, you know, you've you've got to provide and where exactly are we going with this? A lot of humanity, you know, we're just kind of looking at, at the timetable and a lot of hype is going on about 2012. But, of course, you know, we kind of want to look at some data there, too. So, yeah. you know, I'm curious about what, what your take is on all of these things. Well, we, uh, you and I have done, you know, shows similar to this uh, in the past, and my opinion has generally been that, um, you know, in 2012, the world is not going to come to an end. It's not like the movie 2012. Uh, the Mayan prophecy does, you know, speak of uh, different changes and things, but people automatically took the fact that they ended their calendar on that date as that was the end of the world. And, you know, I always viewed that as a lot of hype and, and still basically do. I mean, I think there's going to be changes, but, um, you know, I've, I've never been one to buy into the end of the world uh, scenarios. However, um, in, you know, over the, the last year, I forget when we did our last show on this topic, but over the last year, uh, I've seen different. Uh, different things happening, different events, uh, especially related to the sun. And because of those events, uh, because of the the changes, and it's not just that the sun is doing different things. It is acting a little different now. But we're discovering more. You know, science has moved forward, and they've discovered uh, new things about the way the sun works and, and, and the earth and the galaxy, you know, for that matter. And because of that, that's that's why I think we, we kind of need to lay some of the facts out uh, for people and talk about things that we normally don't talk about in this type of show, like, um, you know, if there is a disaster, whether it's end-of-the-world scenario or just, uh, you know, power outages, we still have to be ready for it. And, you know, a lot of people aren't. You know, most people, I think, are not ready, you know, for any kind of emergency even yeah. if it's only for a week or two. So yeah. you know, those, those well, are some of the things I think people need to know. And, yeah, um, uh, of course. Yeah, well, you know, and it's just it's an interesting thing, too, because, you know, so many things are happening within that timeline. Uh, you know, not just the end of cycles, not just the end of, uh, you know, particular things that we're looking at uh, astrologically, you know, with astronomy, with different uh, forecasts as well. But, you know, there's a lot of social, economic, just so many so many cyclical things that are kind of coming to a convergence point as well. Now, I know that you and I had discussed in the past about the solar flare, too, which ironically yeah. is supposed to take place in that year. Yeah, and, and it's been taking place. That's, that's one of the things that kind of caught my attention is there has been a lot 
of uh, solar activity. And um, solar flares really are, um, they're, they're one of our biggest dangers, one of our biggest uh, you know, enemies as far as you know, astro, uh, astronomical different uh, events you are concerned. But um, solar flares can cause a lot of things to happen. They can cause, uh, they can change our weather, they can cause uh, hurricanes. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. It's not just a matter of blowing out circuitry. They blow out satellites. Uh, they can blow out uh, circuitry like in 1989 in uh, Quebec, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they blacken the whole region out, and it was the solar flare that did that. Luckily, they got it back on in a day, but all the power was gone, and uh, that that was that was a moderate solar flare. It wasn't as big as they can be. Um, another thing that can cause that that a lot of people aren't familiar with is they can cause earthquakes. And if you'll notice, um, a few weeks back. We had that that big uh, solar flare activity, you know, take mm-hmm. place, and mm-hmm. it it produced uh, you know some spectacular you know uh, aurora borealis lights, and that's really about all that we noticed taking place. I think it messed with a few satellites, and other than that, it wasn't anything major. But if you'll notice after that, if you look back on the timeline, uh, shortly after that. We had within about a 10-day period, we had three 7.2 earthquakes in different parts of the South Pacific, and although it's it's hard to say that yeah it was caused by the solar flare, scientists now know that solar flare can trigger earthquakes, and the reason or the, the way it does it is the energy you know comes in at the poles and it filters in and creates the lights and everything, but it also goes into the mantle of the Earth. And it, it can heat it up to a point where it can change pressures. And uh, <clears throat> that, uh, that one fact can, can trigger various earthquakes. So a, a major solar flare can do you know, a lot more than the obvious things. It can uh, trigger earthquakes. It can uh, knock power out. Uh, the one in 1989 that we had also messed with microchips, which mm-hmm. is what's in our computers. A bad one can shut down the world. The internet will be gone, power will be gone. Um, and solar flares, when, they, when they're when they strong, um, for example, a, uh, a cor- uh, coronal mass ejection, when that takes place, that's that's like a, an explosion on the sun. Uh, sure. These things are caused by very strong magnetic uh, storms on the sun. And uh, coronal mass ejection can send as many as you know 10 billion tons of highly charged particles flying straight at Earth. Uh, the only thing that saves us is our mag- magnetosphere, the the magnetic field of the Earth. A lot of people take the magnetic field for granted, you know, but it's uh, it's really what saves our butt most of the time. And when when that happened in 1989, some of it got through, and it. Like I say, it destroyed some microchips, it fried a lot of satellites, and it shut down power grids. But uh, if a major flare were to hit the Earth, the uh, the power grids would go down. Uh, it would start blowing transformers. You'd get surges in uh, power from the uh, power lines, mm-hmm. and it would actually cause the transformers to explode. And 
it literally could blow out most of the transformers on the planet. And okay, that, that was going to be my question years, to you. Years, you know, before we get power back, we go back okay. to the Stone Age, in other words. <laughs> yeah, I was I was curious about that because really, uh, you know, when we're taking a look at um, a flare of that magnitude, you know, what would it do? Because I believe it was you who had mentioned to me the last time we had a flare like that it was actually pointed away from the Earth instead of towards. Yeah. Yeah, that okay. was uh, an ex. An ex uh, yeah, I think we talked about that in one of our shows. Uh, an X-class uh, flare is one of the most powerful. It's it's different than a, a coronal mass ejection, but uh, an X-class uh, usually is not pointed. You know, the ones that, that have hit us, they're usually pointed away from Earth. You know, in recent times, anyway. If it were pointed right at Earth. When it went off, even our magnetosphere uh, wouldn't save us, and that's that's one of the potential dangers. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't know what the prophecies uh, that the different cultures, you know, have have hinted to. They've hinted to disasters and earth changes in this time. Yeah, and well, we don't know if it's going to be from the sun or or something else, but that could definitely do it. Yeah, well, and I'm glad you bring up prophecies, too, because, Zahira, this is something you've been studying as well when we're looking at different types of prophecies, um, you know, that have come to the table. And, you know, I think this is great to be able to discuss this and really get some information out there, you know, so we can kind of draw our own conclusion. What have you been finding? What have you been researching when it comes to, um, you know, different prophecies regarding this this particular convergence point in time? Oh, there are many 2012, (laughs) the question, to believe or not to believe? There's many prophecies, and the problem is that would take us probably, um, you know, 10 days to go through all of them. But, you know, are are these ancient cultures, the Masons and Nostradamus, are they really sending us a message, or are they simply ending their calendars in alignment with the end of this 26,000-year event, simply to begin yet a new cycle, and start this 26,000-year countdown over again. Some believe it's the end of the world. Some believe we will be met with great burdens and great choices requiring us to take precautions and make important decisions. And others simply believe that the countdown will just start on again and life will continue on as we know it. But what's interesting is that some of this are starting to become harder to ignore. There are several coincidences coming together in many of the ancient prophecies, including the quatrains and this lost book of Nostradamus that was found back in, I think, 1994. And you take that together with modern and ancient astronomy, the climate changes, these environmental changes, these solar flares that that Marcus was just talking about, and the solar peak season, which is supposed to take place at the beginning of 2013. And I think this is why people are really starting to stand up and take notice at this time. There's simply so many things connecting. In fact, Stephen Hawkins recently had a blog up that said that uh, either we abandon Earth or we become extinct within the next 100 years. And Mm -hmm. I don't believe that was based on ancient prophecy, uh, at least that's not what he said. He alluded more to, you know, depletion of resources, genetic coding, uh, maybe another missile crisis, environmental changes, global warming, things of that nature. But that's a pretty strong statement from somebody who's well-respected. 
And we know that scientists have said, you know, five times before, life has nearly been wiped off the earth. That's a fact. So why can't it happen again? You know, why are we uh, indestructible? A couple of weeks ago, one of Greenland's two main glaciers, the size of Manhattan, just broke off Greenland. Scientists can't say that it was based on global warming at this point because records apparently were only kept to about, I think, 2003. But scientists are saying that 2010, it's a scientific fact that the first six months of 2010 have been the hottest globally on record. So there's a lot of these things that we know for a fact that are scientific fact, and it just so happens that they're playing in nicely with all these prophecies, which is a little bit unnerving. I think that's why people are really starting to take notice. You're seeing this all over. The Internet, History International Channels had some great programs on... um, as Marcus mentioned, these solar tsunamis that just took place, those actually tie in with some of the Nostradamus prophecies. Uh, if we have time, I can get into that. Yeah, but, absolutely. And, you know, that's that's something, too, and I, I find where a lot of people have had a portion of uh, understanding and a portion of exposure to the prophecies of Nostradamus. And what I've seen, too, is in different you know parts of history when something major has gone on that they've used uh, you know, different portions of, of his prophecies to apply that to whatever's happening at that particular time. And, uh, you know, so kind of sometimes we're seeing a repeat, but I completely understand what you're saying uh, in going that direction. And I think, you know, I, I don't know where the two of you stand on this. I think it's kind of like a two-part thing where we're actually seeing just a lot of tremendous change. There is change coming. We're already in kind of the mouth of it. Uh, you know, but which direction does humanity go? And I, I think that that's kind of, you know, the big question. But I would love if you would share some of, you know, the research of his prophecies just to kind of have it out there, you know, so that uh, we can reflect on that and be able to compare it to what's going on to today. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Especially, go ahead, excuse me, I was just going to say, especially the, the lost books, uh, that's something that intrigues me. I just haven't had the time to, to research it. And I know you've you've done that a little so yeah i mean there's no question the quatrains have been around people know about them uh there's experts on nostradamus and the quatrains who maybe read more into these things than we might on the surface see um so you know it depends on what you believe definitely we also know that nostradamus wrote these in a time when it was dangerous to write certain things like this you know in light of the church and and some say he specifically made these, you know, prophecies and quatrains. Um, uh, they're not very clear on purpose for his safety. But mm-hmm. the, the lost book of Nostradamus, and I think this, there was a special, great special on the History Channel about April 18th of this year, and the program discussed all of these topics, and they included the Lost Book of Nostradamus, which was found apparently at a book expo in Rome by a journalist by accident. It was in 1994. It was an Italian national library in Rome. And apparently this manuscript was never published by Nostradamus, but was handed down to the prophet's son and then later donated by him to Pope Urban VIII, I believe. It didn't surface again until now, about 400 years later. Um, Mm -hmm. But if we take that 
in addition to the quatrains, which we know from the period of roughly 1992 to 2012, Nostradamus's quatrains, there was a significant number devoted to this time period, and, and not of them were very rosy and, and peachy. <laughs> Most of them, famine, <laughs> plague, <Sure>. war. <laughs> so that's, uh, but this lost, the lost book, there are several photos and drawings with no writing and no information other than symbols and writings to, to decipher. And you can, pro- you can pull this up online. I looked online. If you pull up Lost Book of Nostradamus, you can find a couple great sites that will show you all of the, the pictures, the drawings. But if you take seven of them, and the reason why they took the seven and kept them together, because at the very top they have this spoked wheel. And they believe that these Nostradamus experts stated that that spoked wheel was, in fact, uh, the wheel of life and that they should be all taken together. And you take those with the quatrains and all of these other events, the celestial event and the Mayans, the Egyptians, the Cross of Hende, the Masons, believe it or not. There's a lot of info on the Masons that supposedly point to the end of of the world in in our, our age. You take these all together, and that's where it starts, you know, coming together, if you believe it, if you don't. You know, that's, that's up to everybody's interpretation. But one of the quatrains, um, it was interesting, taken together with the seven, these other seven photos. And, and I'm not going to go into all seven of them. It would take me two hours to explain each of them to you. So I'm just going to point out that they're there. Uh, one of the quatrains that was interesting, um, uh, which one was it? I think it was 5 colon 98, and it stated that at 40 de- 48 degrees at the end of cancer, there will be drought and fire from the sky, that fish will fry in the water, you know, et cetera. It talked about famine. Sure. What's interesting about the 48 degrees, and again, this could be a stretch, but what's interesting about the 48 degrees is that all the great grain belts in the world are located along the 48-degree latitude. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Yeah, right. Cool. So whether you know you want to take that as a grain belt reference or an astronomical event, 48 degrees Cancer, that's it's left to interpretation, like much of his his writing. Sure. Well, my question is this: really, is is because when when I take into account what it is that he's prophesized and apply it, um, perhaps is the message this: is it that it will affect a percentage? Of the world, but not all of the world. Is will it affect a percentage of the locations geographically, but not the entire globe um, at one particular time? And of course, when we look at things, you know, the trickle down effect. One thing affects the next, affects the next. We can see that, you know, in the mirror of the, our ecosystems. But you know, is it is it possible that what he is seeing is the total catalyst? of things that will then affect the rest, um, but he's actually, his energy is going to where it needs attention most, to the, the events that actually cause this dramatic change. Uh, is it a, change, a chain of events, rather, that he's picking up on and he's seeing the catalyst for each particular one? I'm just, you know, like you're saying, it's based on uh, perception and interpretation. It's just a curious way uh, to be able to kind of take a look. Well, yes and no. The problem is, he doesn't give specifics on any of this, so it's left to interpretation to the experts uh, who study his quatrains in addition to these lost books. But what, what is interesting, the lost books, these new experts are saying that they are a series of events and that it'll start with one and it'll end up on the last drawing, the seventh drawing. 
there's no writing. They're just pictures and symbols. But these symbols mm-hmm. can also be found on different things around the globe, like the Cross of Hende. And it just so happens that, it, that, unfortunately, there's no timeline, no, not specifically, and nothing specific. And in some of his quatrains, he'll say, well, in this particular part of the world, this will happen. And then some of them are general. And in the seven photos from the lost book, it starts with the sun in Leo. We know he was an astronomer. He was also an astrologer. So the first one in the seven series starts with the sun in Leo. That's all we know. Well, what does that mean? You know, um, if you take it with his other quatrains, does it mean this is when it starts, when the sun's in Leo, when it starts in July? Is this when we're going to see solar flares and solar tsunamis? What's interesting about that, some people say we're already starting and we're already in this process. And if you look at this major solar tsunami, it happened in Leo. It happened in the first part of August. And it's unusual because just before that, I read this huge article by these scientists on the solar tsunamis and solar flares that were saying that we were at an unusually low point. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes these massive solar tsunamis that they didn't predict. They didn't predict them to be at their highest until the beginning of 2013. So has it already started? I don't know. But the seven drawings continue on. And some of them have, uh, you know, Sagittarius on on them. Others, the very last one, which is really interesting, it, Nostradamus is holding up this book, and it's blank, and he's holding it up, and there's nothing written. And they're interpreting that as, you know, this, by the time we get here, what happens next is up to you. You, know, yeah. you make the choices. You write this book. And that carries over into the Hopi uh, prophecies as well. Yeah, so wonderful. With, yeah, with respect to Nostradamus, it's not crystal clear. It's a matter of taking those events and his lost book and his quatrains and looking looking at them in combination with all these other events and prophecies that are happening, and also various symbols that were used by Nostradamus that will you can find in the Masons' Gothic cathedrals, also the Cross of Hende. Then you look at the Mayans and their pyramids, and it it all seems to come together in little ways here and there, which are a little disturbing. Mm-hmm. But it's left for interpretation. It's left for anybody else. You know, you can take it or leave it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting that you bring it up this way, and, and I appreciate, uh, you know, the research that you're providing because, you know, we're actually getting a lot of activity in the chat room uh, concerning this. You know, we're talking about this entire shift. And, you know, when, when it really comes into the perception of what's taking place, uh, you know, one of the topics that's coming up, it's it's kind of like we've got this split going on, you know, where we've got people that are embracing this uh, more in a fear-based manner, and then we've got other people that are embracing this in a change. You know, like Marcus, as you've said, you know, uh, graduating from Homo sapien, or I should say evolving from Homo sapien to Homo luminous beings, or rather beings of light. And I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that, because, you know, with, with all of the changes that are taking place, and I know for me, um, you know, doing reads for people personally one-on-one i'm seeing more and more and more of these new beings uh children you know i'm reading for a lot of teenagers actually how they're so incredibly advanced uh with their sensitivities and um i'm kind of taking a look at it this way if we don't have a change in the social climate 
that is all around them, then, you know, this could compromise their growth. And what I mean by that is like, you know, whether we're shoved in, uh, uh, you know, these large cities like rats in a maze, that kind of thing, there's so many things that contribute to an overstimulation of, you know, the energy body of the person. And so I'm curious, yeah, if you could elaborate a little bit on that with the Homo Luminous and what your take is on that. Yeah, and that um, that is something that relates again to uh, an event that's going to take place. There's two things going to take place on uh, December 21st, 2012. Uh, first of all, the the uh, we're, we're you know the sun system, the entire solar system, is going to cross the uh, galactic equator, and some people call it the uh, galactic uh, equinox. And what that means is um, that you know the galaxy is spinning uh, on an axis, and the equator is you know just divides it. It's it's out. Now there's been a lot of controversy even among astronomers, and you know and that gets frustrating when I see that because I see you know astronomers that that know what they're talking about but they're not keeping themselves updated and they're voicing opinions. I've seen this on the Internet in different places. They're not voicing their opinions. Um, I mean, they're voicing their opinions, excuse me, without you know, taking into consideration some of the new evidence that you know, recently been discovered. Mm-hmm. Some scientists, uh, you know, astronomers, will tell you that we're in you know, the galactic uh, equator right now, that it's light years across. And... Others will tell you that uh, from the perspective of the Earth, we cross into the galactic equator twice a year, and both those are wrong. Uh, and these and that's one thing that's frustrating, and it comes from scientists. So it's you've you got to watch who you listen to, even if you know, they are you know, scientists, because it's not from the perspective of uh, the Earth that you have to look at this at. You have to look at the perspective from the solar system, from the sun itself. Um, we do not cross into the galactic uh, equator twice a year. It only appears. It's like an illusion. You know, it depends mm-hmm. on your perspective of, uh, of vision. And so it's only illusion that we do. Uh, the sun actually only crosses that every 33 million years, you know, give or take a few million. And... Uh, it's, it goes in a cycle. We cross it, and we go back up. It's like a sine wave. And so that, that's one thing you have to keep in mind. And the reason I, I point this out is because if people go online and start looking, they're going to get a mixture of information, and some of it's not correct. Um, the, the thing about the, the equator being light years across is not true. Um, you know, te- technically, that's how thick the the galaxy itself is at the edges. But at the center, you know, some of the the more recent discoveries in astronomy is that uh, at the center of our our galaxy is a super black hole, mm-hmm. and it's massive and it's spinning extremely fast. And this black hole um, is generating because of its mass; it's it's generating enormous magnetic fields, and the fact that it's spinning, you know, well, the, the spinning motion, that it's the engine of our galaxy. That's why our galaxy spins in a spiral is because this black hole sitting in the center spinning. And it's throwing its magnetic fields out. 
But with that much power and spinning that fast, the magnetic uh, field or the equator is not light years across. It's not the you know the, the depth of the galaxy. Uh, it actually, because of the power and speed, it can be just a fraction of an inch. So this equator is is very very small. Uh, it can be a, a hundredth of an inch even. And when we pass through it, it's an enormous amount of power, and nobody knows what's going to happen because it hasn't happened in human, you know, uh, lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. We know it happens. It's a, you know, cyclical, but we don't know what happens. And when this when this happens, it could affect, you know, the sun. Um, you know, the other thing is that's that's going to happen on uh, the same time, you know, on uh, December 21st, 2012, is the sun will eclipse the center of the uh, galaxy. In other words, it'll be the center of the galaxy, the sun, and then us. And so okay. we'll, be, we'll be blocked from the center, and it's the first time we've been blocked from the center of the galaxy since humans have been on Earth. And okay. again, we don't know what that's going to do because there are energies coming out that we're always, you know, in tune with. Yeah. So you have these these two events taking place. Um, you're passing through an enormous magnetic rift that's only a fraction of an inch, uh, you know, thin or thick, and we're at the same time being uh, blocked. We're we're in direct alignment with the center of the galaxy, with the sun in between us. Now what? might happen, you know, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen, but uh, what might happen is that the sun may act like a lens, and it may take this this magnetic wave, and it may focus it down on Earth. Um, It's, you know, it may act like a shield and cut us off completely from from the energy and forces from the center of the uh, galaxy. Mm -hmm. The thing is, we have a we have a, uh, a uh, I forgot the name, uh, pineal gr- uh, gland inside, uh, deep inside our brain. And uh, the pineal gland is thought to be, you know, on an evolutionary basis, it, it's, it's thought that it, at one time uh, was almost like a third eye in some creatures, not in mammals, but in some creatures. But we, we have that. And... It looks like a little pine cone, but it's only about the size of a grain of rice. And that is responsible for uh, regulating our sleep cycles. It affects our consciousness, in other words. It produces uh, melatonin, and the uh, it, it's still kind of a mystery. Every, you know, scientists don't know exactly what it does. They are linking it now uh, to uh, the aging process. But the uh, pineal gland has something that only one other organ you know, in the body has, and that's rods and cones, just like the eyes. They have cells that are very similar to rods and cones, but they don't, you know, they don't detect light, of course, you know, deep inside the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside the pineal gland is something else that, you know, it, that could relate to what we're talking about. Uh, there's a, a magnetite crystal which magnetite is the most magnetic material that occurs in nature. And all pineal glands have a magnetite crystal in all 
you know, and, and all animals, birds, everything, and they think that's how birds actually navigate is uh, through that crystal. They can sense uh, direction through it. And um, anyway, that that magnetite crystal can be activated. Uh, emotions can be controlled uh, just through the use of um, magnetic fields uh, and different exposures to different frequencies of uh, magnetic fields. This is a field of research that uh, scientists are doing now uh, to find out exactly what the pineal gland does. But okay. just suppose that it was subjected to a, a magnetic pulse you know, of unbelievable power, uh, you know, like from the center of the, uh, the galaxy in the, as we cross the galactic equator. That could trigger um, changes in the body. That could trigger, you know, it's, it, it's really unknown what, exactly what it does, but there is a lot of DNA in the body that's called uh, junk DNA, and mm-hmm. this DNA, you know, is really considered useless because it's not used for anything that they know of. You know, the scientists are now starting to find out, and, you know, there's a possibility some of this DNA could be activated, you know, with uh, the proper, you know, stimuli, like, uh, you know, the magnetic stimuli. Now, these are just theories. There's no, you know, it's anybody's guess what's going to happen. But um, the pineal gland is, you know, has been sacred to different cultures uh, for for quite a while. It's uh, it's considered to be the crown, you know, related to the crown chakra. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, they call it the third eye, but I think that that's more because it does have rods and cones in it. Um, but anyway, some of the uh, junk DNA that we have. Scientists are just now finding out that it can, you know, be resurrected, and they're trying to find out why, what causes it. But uh, there, there's a certain strand, you know, it's it's hereditary. You have to have this particular strand of junk DNA. But if this uh, DNA is activated, what happens? It's it, it's um, I think it's called uh, nicknamed zombie DNA. Because mm-hmm. what happens is that it takes control of your uh, your different okay. functions in your body. All right. Uh, so this so makes sense of all my zombie dreams then. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since yeah, I was see, little. They get those zombies. Yeah. I'll just say that. This is really that, that interesting. That junk DNA. Yeah. We've got actually a lot of activity in, in the chat room, and I want to actually ask you a couple questions before we continue because there there's actually a lot of conversations going on right now um, about the pineal gland. And, you know, one question in particular had to do with you had mentioned the crystal. Now, is that an actual uh, crystal formation that's within the gland, or are you speaking of that pertaining to outside the body? They were just asking for clarification. That's inside the gland. They're microscopic crystals. There's, okay. there's more than one. It's not uh, it's not one, you know, big crystal. Remember this this thing is only the size of a grain of rice. But okay. uh, and they're finding they're finding other um, uh, calcite and different things uh, building up. And a lot of times the uh, the gland is uh, calcified, and they they think that relates somehow to aging. But the magnetite. Um, they're finding magnetite in different parts of the body too now. But okay. The magnetite crystals are microscopic crystals, and they're you know they they accumulate there. 
Um, I, I don't know exactly where they come from. I guess they come from you know what we eat, uh, you know, because magnetite's everywhere. Mm. But uh, they, they accumulate, and over time, you're going to build up quite a few of them. And these crystals uh, are very sensitive to magnetic fields. Okay. Uh, when if you don't have a high concentration of them, in other words, if if you can have movement and you know, have the crystals inside the uh, the gland, uh, it can actually it can get to the point where, you know without using your inner ear, it can tell what position you're facing. Um, you know, it it sends signals. Now this usually by the times you know people grow up when they get in their teens, they start losing that ability, but they can actually sense direction they can sense magnetic fields through that gland through the magnetite okay. crystals as it becomes well, too populated then then it gets more difficult yeah and 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 okay and i don't even know if you're going to remember this or not but do you remember this was about a year and a half ago i had that absolutely intense dream uh where i was standing within something that was metal perhaps an rv or a shed or something like that and i remember the atmosphere had completely changed and when i went outside that's where i saw uh, it's almost as if the gravity had been taken away and I could see uh, different types of, of metals and stone and different things floating within the atmosphere as though it were like an asteroid belt, but it was here on Earth. And when you're speaking of the magnetism, uh, you know, I equate that also to individual where our electromagnetic frequencies are completely changing and I'm noticing people that I'm reading for, I'm having to suggest, you know, making sure that they have enough uh, different types of minerals in their body so that they can stay grounded still to the earth vibration to be able, you know, to stay focused and have clarity so that their energy body isn't kind of zapping itself. Um, what do you, what's your take on that? Um, yeah, and that, that does make sense um, because if you're, if you have too much of something, for example, uh, too much of a, a particular uh, mineral or if you're exposed to something, um, if you're if you're surrounded by you know a certain type of metal, for example, uh, that can actually affect your energy fields. You know, mm-hmm. we're speaking energetically now, not biologically. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the the most important things uh, for anybody that is developing their their abilities, uh, psychic abilities, I'm speaking of, uh, is to you know eat the proper foods. And a lot of the the foods that they tell us are not good for us, like red meat and things like that, are things you really need to stay away from. And you do need to have a balanced diet. Uh, Balance is necessary in everything. It's not, you know, energetically and chemically in your body. Yeah. So, you know, I haven't heard of anybody, you know, prescribing that to people before, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, well, it's just something that I'm picking up on, and it's happening more and more and more. And then I'm also noticing, too, when we're looking at the electromagnetic frequency of the energy bodies, uh, you know, of people, those that are within a high concentrated area of uh, phone wires, electric wires, transformers, and things like that, I'm noticing that they're having a lot of 
imbalance a lot of concentrated, uh, you know, kind of like energy bubbles in a way where it's it's like their electromagnetic field is completely off and it's causing nausea, it's causing confusion, different types of things, especially going on within within the brain. Um, and it, we're not even looking at a physiological effect of, say, cancer and things like that, but, you know, the way that, that the energy is filtering through their body. And I've had to see people, you know, that have had to move because this is disturbing and disrupting uh, their energy to a point in which they're not able to function normally on a day-to-day physical environment. Uh, so the imbalance is causing, of course, manifestations of physical illness and things like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, uh, most... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to chime in there real quick. Yeah, please do. Also, something along those same lines, those of us who suffer from migraines, and I'm one of them, unfortunately, I have debilitating migraines at certain times, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not a lifestyle. It's not a matter of food choices. Um, there's finally research that proves it's actually a neurological disease. But what's interesting, my what happens to me and several other people I know that have migraines, when there are any type of pressure changes in the atmosphere, significant pressure changes, all of us that suffer from migraines will have horrible migraines the exact same time. Which is rather interesting. So I, I think that kind of plays into what you guys are saying as well. When there's any changes in the atmosphere at all, whether it's magnetic or otherwise, and we're not sure what it is exactly that causes the migraines in those of us that suffer, but it's kind of an odd coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Zahara, I remember you and I had spoken about that too um, prior to us doing the broadcast about the migraines and the headaches and the things that are really going on, uh, you know, within the energy field and, you know, within you. And uh, it, it is, it, it's an interesting thing to bring that up, too, because we're so incredibly sensitive. And I don't know, uh, Marcus, if, if, you know, if you agree with this or not as well, but kind of looking at the body as though it's an instrument. And when we have all of these different energies that we're interacting with on a day-to-day basis, our instrumentation can be, uh, you know, I don't want to say damaged, but it can be affected, you know, taking a look at it. You know, where as you're talking about the even going back to the gland, the pineal gland, um, of how it becomes calcified, in a way it kind of reminds me of a battery that has battery acid and battery corrosion, uh, yeah. you know, within within the conduit system. What What's your take on that? Yeah, and it's, you know, we are influenced heavily by our environment, whether it's chemical uh, or energetic, you know, the magnetic fields. Um, most problems in the body result as a, uh, an energetic imbalance. And you either have too much energy in one spot or not enough in another. And whenever you have a condition like that, it manifests through the organs. You know, we, we start mm-hmm. off with energy, but and it can be it can be life force energy, which is chi, you know, that type of energy. Um, you've got to, you know, you can have chi blockages where you you don't have energy flowing properly. Uh, you can also have exposure. You know, a lot of people have exposure to electromagnetic radiation and um, you know power lines, them like you were talking about. In fact, um, you know that's something that that can manifest. Inter- you know, most physiological conditions and diseases start off on an energetic level and then manifest into the physical level. And mm-hmm. that's what killed, for example, Scott Cunningham, you know, the, the author. Uh, he, uh, he lived, his apartment was in San Diego, and he lived 
very, you know, he lived on the second floor, and right outside his window was a power transformer. I mean, just feet, you know, a few feet away from where he slept every night. And after years of being exposed to that, uh, you know, he believed, and and others that knew him believed that he developed, you know, cancer as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, you know, can't happen. You got to watch the energy fields that you're around. So you know it definitely, you know, you know, energy will definitely affect the physical body in the long run. It might not mm-hmm. immediately, but uh, you know, all these things that we're around and working with. Uh, it's like I, you know, I've been involved in electronics since I was about five years old, and uh, my dad was an electronic engineer, and so I was always around it. And so far, I haven't developed any problems, but. You know, I have always been around energy fields like that. But that, that yeah. is something that you do have to consider. And, you know, if you do get um, energy buildups or blockages, uh, they're very hard, you know, for doctors uh, to detect. Some of the the old school doctors, the ancient medicines like acupuncture and acupressure, uh, they know more about those things. And, you know, they have ways to help clear it out and bring balance. Uh, shamans from different cultures, you know, the, including mine, they can look at a person's energy body and perceive where the blockages are. And mm-hmm. they can often diagnose a problem that a person has just by looking at the way the energy is, you know, concentrated in different parts of their uh, their energy fields. Yeah, and absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, definitely what you're saying, you know, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that you bring that up, too, because I'm finding, and I don't know, um, you know, I know we have a lot of listeners listening in tonight, and I know as a reader, um, and I'm curious if any other readers that are listening in, too, my my perception of what's going on within people's energy system is completely evolving and changing where it's I'm finding that my direction is going towards the attention of what they need to do energetically, not even so much, you know, socially or, you know, within their relationship, et cetera, that kind of thing, but going towards what they need to do within their energy system to be able to maintain that balance. Um, You know, and I kind of look at it as, you know, being able to really ride out the storms that are coming that we're already a part of, uh, and this is where we wrap back into the whole topic of the earth changes in the 2012 and the whole aspect of ascension and things like that. And, you know, when we look in that direction, it's just, it's an interesting thing how things are progressing and and changing in in that format, you know, and, uh, you know, looking at all of the different uh, prophecies and, you know, premonitions and how all of a sudden a lot of people are now really starting to awaken to this aspect of understanding, whether through their dreams or things like that. And Zahir, I want to ask you this question, too, because, of course, you know, as you were getting older and things like that, what what pulled to you to really start researching this uh, and to be able to look in this direction? Because, you know, considering all the things that you've uh, been researching, all of the information you've been acquiring through time, I'm curious of where the passion started for you. I, you know, it, it was kind of by accident. It just, some of these things kind of played along and played out in amongst the other research that I do regarding um, ancient cultures. Uh, very, I've always been interested in ancient Egyptians and their cultures, their mysticism, their science, their medicine. Um, some of this kind of wraps into that. It 
carries over to alchemy. Um, I'm also a researcher of various ancient religions and cultures. And some of this just kept taking me in different directions. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting, let me read that. But what's scary is a lot of these things keep coming around full circle, and then I'll find something else, and I start researching over there. And again, it kind of wraps up and comes full circle and plays into this, maybe this old, you know, alchemy research. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's kind of been, what's interesting is kind of just been all over the map just based on my my interests and and, uh, hobbies, but yet I keep, and I don't really know. Sometimes something just tells me to look in this direction and look at this, and I go there and I look and I find something else that kind of wraps into it. And then I, I've seen a couple great programs on the History Channel that, that kind of brought some of these things together that I had already looked at and researched, and, you know, lights kind of went off, and then I just started getting more interested in it because there are some coincidences now that are somewhat hard to ignore. And and I'm not saying whether I believe, you know, the world will end in 2012. But again, there's a lot of these cyclical things, like you had mentioned before, and kind of these synchronistic things that keep coming around full circle. And all of these things in my research and hobbies kind of tie in and play into these. Mm -hmm. Everything from astrology to, you know, alchemy to the Masons, it's just interesting how there's all these different various subunits and people who lived way on the other side of the world and yet a lot of these things tying together and they had no contact at that time um so it's really just interesting to me and that's kind of how i got off on this <laughs> into yeah, this research yeah. and and it just became more of a, of a fascination i'm becoming isaac newton i'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're finding so many more people now that are really becoming impassioned by needing to understand and needing to learn and then really going back, uh, you know, to even predated times where, you know, we're trying to find out the, the true source of how all of this information really came to us. Uh, and, you know, that could even open a whole line of discussions that's a completely different topic when we're looking at ancient texts and we're looking at, you know, different aspects of when we're going towards the Mayans even. And, and Marcus, I know you've studied this a little bit, uh, going towards different imagery and the symbolism and the technology that just kind of fell in their lap. Um, before we actually tackle that, I do have a question for you, though, Marcus. We, we uh, had a question posed in the chat room, and I didn't have the chance to actually ask you, but uh, Brian, thank you for posing your question. He's curious when we were talking about the sun and the solar flares, uh, he wanted to ask, is the sun and Sirius in a binary system? You know, and that's that's one of the things that, you know, you got to watch because there, there's two, there's uh, kind of two groups. Some people think like, for example, the uh, precession of the equinoxes are caused by uh, a wobble on the Earth's uh, axis and that's personally what I believe but the um, there's another camp that uh, that thinks there is a you know the sun is part of a double star system and this rotation you know it's a massive you know cycle of rotation with uh, another star and and I don't know that it's you know Sirius uh, Sirius is a double star in itself a Sirius A and Sirius B um, but Sirius B you know, is very hard to see. 
but I don't know mm-hmm. if it's that star or not, to be honest with you, and I don't even know if it's true. It's something that I look at and I keep with an open mind. Uh, there's not enough evidence you know, either way, but they think that the, the uh, rotation of the, uh, the double star system would also create the effect of the precession of the equinox. And so, you know, it's there's there's two different groups that uh, you know that kind of have their own opinions on it. And you know, I'm leaning, and most of other astronomers are leaning toward the uh, wobble, you know, of the Earth uh, axis. But you know, it's it, it's hard to say. You know, right now, there's there's not, not enough evidence to say say that we are part of a binary system. Uh, there's also a third camp, really, to say there's a, a dark companion, a dark star. Mm-hmm. That uh, we've had so many spacecraft out there now, out beyond the, the outer planets, that if there was something, it seems like they would. Some of the equipment would pick up something, you know, the uh, you know some type of magnetic influence. But so I don't really think there's a dark star out there somewhere that we're rotating around. But uh, that that is another theory that I've And this completes part one of this interview. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue and bring on a surprise guest, Peruvian shaman and my dear friend, James Riverstone. Also, I would like to invite you to tune in with me to hear the amazing Tracy Savage talking about the many wonders of our multiverse from the perspective of a scientist on her show, Savage Science, coming up in about an hour at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Radio Network.